Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? Doing all right, Ben. How are you? Good, and today we we have quite a bit to talk about, and we're going to start this episode by talking about the news regarding Jalen Green's decision and this new G League initiative. So, Max, why don't you explain kind of what's going on? Okay, so first of all, if you don't know who Jalen Green is, I'd recommend going and listening to our fourth episode, which was a 2021 NBA draft preview with uh, Ross Homan. We talked about all of the top guys in that class, including Jalen Green. Uh, while in the in the consensus, Jalen is viewed as, I think, even in contention for the number one pick by by mainstream sources. Uh, we we don't feel that way, but he is a very good prospect. He certainly would be in contention for the number one pick this year. I think saying that he he's not in contention next year um, is more of a testament to next year's class than it is to to Jalen Green as a prospect. He is very good. Um, but so Jalen Green, one of the top uh, most prized recruits in in uh, this this um, this year's senior high school class, has decided to forego college and to forego all the professional routes that uh, we've seen prospects like RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball take in the past, and he has decided to sign with the G League. Uh, However, he's not signing with an existing G League team. What the G League is doing is that they are going to create a new G League uh, franchise based in Southern California, Jalen Green's backyard, Um, and they are not going to play a real G League schedule. They're going to train and uh you know develop as they should and play i think the it was a 10 to 12 game schedule against g league competition that will not count for the g league season so effectively exhibition games um and they're trying to to stock these teams with with some other prospects as well as uh some veterans to help them develop uh already isaiah todd has decommitted from michigan and joined jalen green um on this this to be formed G League team, and uh, there are rumors of lots of other guys. I think the one that is has been prominently mentioned is Greg Brown, who is a, another explosive uh, forward who is, I believe, committed to Texas. Um, so yeah, it's I mean it's a radical uh, shock to the to the the you know NBA prospect system. Uh, it's really exciting. Jalen Green is going to be paid, I think, a salary of five hundred thousand dollars, as well as 
a $125,000 scholarship to attend college whenever he chooses, which is a spectacular middle finger to the NCAA, which claims that, you know, you're, the, the compensation that these players get is their education. Um, I believe the reports, I think Shams Charania had that the total asset package that Jalen Green will receive is going to exceed $1 million, which I, I believe uh, – Kevin Porter Jr. last year as the 30th pick, uh, so the final pick in the first round, made $1.29 million. So this is is like pretty damn close to the total asset package. Of course, it's not all cash, but the total asset value is is considerable uh, and enough to to entice a prospect of Jalen Green's caliber to skip skip college basketball and skip playing overseas. Um, So it's it's really exciting. there are like a lot of questions emerge from it. Uh, I think the most obvious thing is that they're not going to be playing a real schedule, that it's going to be 10 to 12 exhibition games. Uh, but I, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Ben, but I do think that these, these kids will understand that this is where they will be scrutinized. Like this is where every NBA team will watch every single one of these games and put a lot of value into it. I mean, but how do you feel about having such a limited schedule? You know, they're playing a third of a, of like a typical uh, schedule that they'd play overseas or in college. I mean, it's likely a benefit for them, I think. I mean, they are going into this with the expectation that they're going to be competing against actual G League players, many of which will be close to NBA caliber. So they're not they're not going to be fooled by thinking that they're getting lighter competition and they're going to dominate this league. I mean, they're there to to prove themselves i think definitely not having a lesser sample is not great but it's also this competition is going to be pro- likely better than the sample they'd have in in college and this this development's also going to be tailor-made for them to to um to develop and to nba players it's going to be interesting because i mean we watch college basketball and scouts watch college basketball for the purpose of evaluating prospects. But the, the true purpose of, of college basketball is like, is to win games and to eventually win a title. There's no title here. There's no winning here. I mean, games will be won and lost, but the, the purpose is, is really interesting that it's going to be these guys focused on developing. I think another interesting point is um, that Jalen Green is obviously a very high caliber prospect. And if Greg Brown went to the G League, he's also a, a quite good prospect as well. But players like Isaiah Todd and another guy who's who's rumored is um, in McCurr Maker, um, a lot of these players who are have this five-star label and are very highly touted, but in actuality aren't very good and likely aren't the best prospects. So I wonder how that... Um, that dynamic could could happen if these if these worse um, p- prospects continue to go to the G League and flame out. I wonder how that affects future players. And I'll quickly say, I, I believe Greg Brown hasn't actually committed yet. I think he's slated to commit next Friday. Then Texas is like the heavy frontrunner. Um, but now, obviously, the G League is an option has been reported. So, yeah, I mean, I think the clear problem in terms of avoiding flops is that lower level scouting needs to get way better. This was already a problem because you, you have you have guys that are, you know, attaining this high ranking in RSCI that doesn't make any sense. And then they're riding that to you know, maybe going in the first round, even if they're not any good in college, because you know they've, they've been given this label and it's unwarranted and, and teams still put weight on that. And now when you're investing money in them at, 
at a younger age, like you, you lower level scouting just needs to get much, much better because you're right. Like the G league putting, you know, they're not giving the Jalen green package to Isaiah Todd, but I do think whatever they invest in Isaiah Todd will probably not be a, you know, positive investment for them. They, they, I don't think he's going to turn into a valuable NBA player. So it's concerning. I mean, it's good for him to go and get paid because I think that if he had had gone to Michigan, he would not have ended up, you know, coming out as a one and done and you actually getting an NBA contract. But the, you know, the NBA is not, is not going to, they're not altruistic. They're not going to see this as, yeah, it's great that we got this kid, you know, some money. They're going to see it as a, as a failed investment. So yeah, I mean, they're going to need to, to find a way to increase the hit rate and it'll obviously never be 100%. I mean, the, you know, the draft isn't hundred percent and scouting at these lower levels is even harder, but it's going to need to get higher than what it would be now. Because if you, you know, if you just took, you know, RSCI for this past class, you know, Vernon Carey would have gotten, uh, or Isaiah Stewart was, was number two, I believe in RSCI, like Isaiah Stewart would have, you know, been preferential in, in this, um, in this, uh, you know, system as opposed to, um, I don't know, like Cole Anthony was below was below Isaiah Stewart in RSCI, and I think is is was at the time a much better prospect, and still is even after after a disappointing year. So the I mean, just whoever is making these decisions of who to pursue for the for these um, for this G League development program, they, they're just going to have to really massively improve lower level scouting infrastructure. Yeah, I think an important point is that just like even for like for, for people who are for fans who are watching just the the availability of lower level games is not great i mean peach jam peach jam and aau is not televised it definitely should be because that's some of the most important sample for a lot of these top level high school prospects where we can gauge how good they actually are i mean i'll use the example of isaiah todd he played on the same aau team as scotty barnes who was just miles and miles better than him very clearly and i believe after like after that aau cert after the aau tournament um espn still had isaiah todd ranked ahead of scotty barnes which is just any basketball fan who knows anything about the game would disagree with that ranking so that's just yeah i I wanted to get back to the point of only having 10 to 12 games because i i i think it's suboptimal but not the end of the world like Lamelo this year played 12 games uh not including nbl blitz uh which was like a preseason event um and rj played 15 so it like relative to to these guys who yes their seasons were cut short by injury but i i don't feel like we have we're lacking for a Lamelo or rj film like it would be a little it would be nice if we had five to eight more games but I think we're fine with that 12 to 15 range, especially for someone like Jalen Green, where there is such a long, you know, extensive list of Jalen Green fil- film available because he's played AAU, he's, his, he played for a big prep school, uh, and he played uh, Team USA for multiple years, I think. So we have just like hundreds of games probably of Jalen Green against meaningful competition. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal, but... Um, you know, like it, it, it's 10 to 12, I think is enough. Uh, it, it's definitely a, li- a little less than I would hope. And it also just like stinks to not be able to watch exciting guys as much, which Jalen Green definitely qualifies as. But um, I, don't, I don't think it's the end of the world from a scouting perspective. 
Yeah, no, I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. I mean, 12 to 10 games, as we've talked about, I think, on episode 5, where we talked about our scouting process, is like enough to, more than enough to understand a prospect and even get quite a bit of detail. I mean, we, we'd like to see to see more of these high-end, high-end prospects, but having a full season's worth and just like being able to watch that whole season once and maybe even twice uh, without missing any context from other games will be some sort of be some sort of advantage on the way. So yeah, we're very excited to see how this eventually plays out. Uh, very very excited that Jalen Green decided to to take this leap and uh, hopefully start a trend that um, helps um, helps further alternate paths to the NBA um, that can route 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 away from college basketball. So. Yeah, is is there anything that you want to see added to this program going forward? Because I know like for for me like. I think that hopefully this would lead to televising more levels of basketball. Like obviously all of these games that this prospect team plays in the G league should be televised, but you know, it it would be nice to see some of the, like some of the major high school tournaments that are, for example, like on flow hoops. Like if that was on national television, get more people, you know, watching that. And, And maybe there's just, isn't a market for it. But I think for some of these games, at least, where where really big guys are are matching up, I think there would be. And I, like, I'd love to see Peach Jam return to TV. Uh, it's it's a shame that that stuff's not accessible. Um, so I think that this does present an opportunity to get people more, you know, more broadly into youth basketball, which is honestly just a lot of fun. Like, I think people would would probably enjoy it. Like, wa- watching these guys who are really good at this level is is just like a very enjoyable experience um so i think that that hopefully this will lead to to the spreading of of um the interest in youth basketball yeah and just one more obvious thing that we touched on a little bit is just just a total overhaul in terms of youth basketball scouting because i mean nba teams are like we said are going to see these guys as investments not not like success stories that they're going to try to pry from NCAA for for their own good. They're doing it for the benefit of the league. And uh, if they're just going to go through RSCI and pick the top fifty guys, they're going to be missing out on plenty of on plenty of talent, and they're going to be overrating a lot of guys who aren't going to be positive investment for them. So some sort of just massive overhaul in terms of the way RSCI works and that and lower level ranking and scouting, just proper valuation of these players seems really important because that's not really a thing that's challenged by many except for people like us um, who are very into the weeds of this. Um, people kind of accept RSCI for what it is, at least in terms of high school players. So there is um, definitely a need, definitely going to be a need to to make high school scouting, at least by this G League program, more, more true and as accurate as it can be. Obviously, it can't be totally accurate and there's going to be misses, but as as accurate and complete as it can be in order to maximize the value of these investments. Yeah. The, I guess the final thing that I'll say on this is that I do think Jalen Green is a very good player to be doing this with because he is an exciting player. He is a crazy vertical athlete, space creator, you know, takes ambitious shots. Um, and I think that he is the type of the type of guy that is go that will be able to succeed playing against G League players, like he has that level of you know on the ball space creation to actually succeed as a scorer down there, and um, I think that just his exciting play style will be something that's very compelling. Like if if you, they had stuck 
you know, I, I don't know, Killian Hayes into the G League. Like, I don't think that that has as much widespread appeal. Like, Killian Hayes is a brilliant player. Uh, like, he's very, very smart, and we love to watch him. But I don't think that he has the same raw appeal as someone like Jalen Green. See, it, So it seems like Jalen Green is, is a really good choice for a guy to be pioneering this. And I, you know, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for the league. I think it's really yeah. cool that he's doing this. And uh, I think he's going to be successful. I like. I think that that he has a game and a personality and a following that you know is conducive to this actually working. And I'm glad. I'm glad that they found a, a good guy to lead this charge because I, I think that they they really did find the right guy for this. Yeah, I mean they got Jalen Green, like like you quickly mentioned, not just um the play the play style and the basketball player for this environment, but he's already very well liked and has a strong following as a high school basketball player and is the number one recruit um per ESPN. So he's got lots of buzz. They they probably couldn't find a better name, uh, a better face for this for this initiative. So yeah, very excited to see this. So why don't we get started with the actual topic of this episode where we are going to break down each of the lottery prospects and talk about how they could be misutilized. So in, in this class, which is very weak, we've talked about over and over, a lot of these players are, are exceptionally context dependent compared to other years and a lot of these guys even that we have at the top of the draft will not succeed if they're thrown into the wrong context so we're going to go through these guys and talk about how these how these players how these prospects could be misused and flame out when they'd otherwise succeed yeah so let's start with uh my number one ranked player uh you also have him in tier one but not number one uh anthony edwards shooting guard from georgia uh, I think that for him, if he's thrown in as a primary creator uh, and a team is not dedicated to extracting the value from him that can be extracted off the ball, I think that he will be wasted. I don't think that he has the decision-making jo- chops to be you know, your, your primary initiator. And um, you know, if, you're, if you're just not making use of the fact that he is an exceptional cutter, that he, he can move so sharply off the ball and create space for himself and – um, on the other end of the floor, if you're not, you know, really drilling into him that he has to try defensively and stop doing stupid stuff, uh, then I think that he'll, he'll be wasted. Um, but I, I think that it's not as like drastic of a situation as some of these other guys. Like, I think if you, if you throw Anthony Edwards in there, just give him the ball, you know, 28% of the time that he's out there. I don't think it, it'll be too disastrous necessarily, necessarily. Like, I don't think that he would be guaranteed to fail in that situation. I just think that it would be a waste if you're not adequately utilizing the off ball utility that he has. Yeah. And while the ultimate vision for Anthony Edwards might be as, or is likely for many NBA teams will be as an on-ball creator with his with his crazy athletic tools and some of the sh- difficult shot-making he displays, it, it would be silly not to take advantage of the off-ball goodness that he's already shown. I mean, that's pretty much the probably the best concrete thing that he's done this season at Georgia is play off the ball. And I think he's going to work well quite – he's going to work well next to uh, teams with uh, – work well in teams with other creators. And he'll scale well even – uh, uh, when he develops and if he develops into this 
higher end creator, he's going to maintain the scalability because he's going to be a monster cutter and he's really great creating space, like you said, shaking himself free from defenders. And if a smart team uh, will get him maybe moving down hills with, with handoffs or in pistol action or just devise actions to get him moving towards the basket and and not have him create space for himself because while Edwards can definitely create space, he has a pretty weak handle and he has this bad habit of uh, of dribbling the ball right after he comes off a screen. So he's not ideal to be a, be, be a space creator at the moment. So if he can get into a smart team context, I mean, I've talked about this. I would love to see him go to a team like Atlanta where he can play off of Trey Young and get plenty of advantage and get plenty of plenty of opportunities to attack closeouts in heavy space because he's a he can be a monster attacking closeouts, getting downhill and using his power to finish or 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 his gravity to draw help and lay and lay down passes to teammates. Yeah, Anthony Edwards definitely probably has a because of those those things I I just talked about has a higher floor than he's maybe billed as by some, but he needs to be used in that right way because I think he was thrown into yeah, just, just thrown to the wolves as as like a 30 usage I mean that's not likely um, but a, a high usage creator um, like, like Max said he probably won't like totally fail like some of the other guys we'll talk about will but he likely wouldn't have much success either and his development would be be stunted likely yeah I do think a team also has to put genuine effort into developing him as an off-ball player like if you're going to use him as a guy that's like coming off curls, for example, like you need to coach Anthony Edwards so that he's not immediately dribbling the ball every time he catches it. Like you need to be coaching him to be decisive to either, you know, come off a curl. If your gravity is opening someone else up is opening someone else, fire the ball to them. Like he's capable of doing that. He's capable of seeing that, but he just, he, he does like to take his time and put the ball on the ground, but just, be decisive. You know, if you are open, shoot. If not, use your your immense scoring gravity to create for others. But um, yeah, it's just about a team realizing that Anthony Edwards is not simply a guy that is an on-ball creator, that he can generate a lot of value without the ball. And that's that's something that will be integral to to making sure that he you know, reaches his, his fullest potential. Yeah, I mean, just seeing that Edwards takes full advantage of the scoring gravity because because his decision making is definitely definitely a concern at this point. He has shown quite a bit of passing aptitude as an on-ball guy, but not not as much off-ball passing um, except for attacking closeouts uh, with his scoring gravity. And if he's utilized the right way in off-ball actions and is coached to be decisive, then he's going to generate a lot of gravity off the ball as well. That hopefully he can exploit with his own passing, or or other or his other teammates can exploit for him. So yeah, Edwards definitely has a chance to be a really impactful off-ball player if a smart team decides to try and develop him that way, as well as on-ball, which just gives him a more versatile ceiling as a scalable secondary creator type who can play on the ball, off the ball, run offense when he's needed to, and just be a valuable piece on a really good team if 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 things go well. Yeah. So the next guy is Killian Hayes, who's more of an on-ball, uh, or more of more of an initiator, less of an on-ball creator. But I think the way Killian would be misutilized is if he's playing without another creator. Um, and I think that he's someone that it's probably not appreciated how much he needs to be schemed for. You're not just going to toss him the ball and and let him run high pick and roll. Like something that I noticed um, as I was watching a few games recently. Uh, that Ulm does a lot of work scheming Killian to get him attacking to his left because he really 
cannot go to his right at all. So they they'll do all of these things to try to balance the floor so that so that he can get going with a ball screen to his left. Uh, and he really can only play on on half the floor because um, he just can't throw passes with his right. And um, I mean, he can't he can't. The only thing that he can do going to his right is pull up for a jumper. Um, and he's not yet that good of a pull up shooter. Um, so he really is only effective on half the floor. And then on the other end, um, I think it would be wasted if he's not allowed to be an off-ball disruptor. We've talked in the past uh, about how he is a like, really imposing nail defender, how he shuts down drives with stunts and just general intelligence. Um, and with his size, I think that you're probably going to be best served with him playing off the ball a lot, even though he has made massive strides as a point-of-attack defender to the point where I think that he's pretty good. Uh, I just think that, you know, he, because of his size and intelligence, has potential to generate tremendous amounts of value working off the ball. And if he's not in a system where, where you know, he's allowed to, to do that by by guarding off the ball and, and being asked to, you know, to play around the nail and be active like that, I think that you will be sacrificing some value. But the uh, I think the main problem would be that, you know, if a team is not, able to scheme so that he can get into the spots that he needs to be in on offense because he can only function on the left side of the floor. Yeah, and another point that I want to bring up about him playing off of another creator is while he theoretically should be pretty competent off the ball, he should shoot spot-ups um, at a pretty competent rate. I think that's pretty pretty clear. He's just not a very good off-ball player. It's not something he does or is asked to do very much at Ulm and just comparing him to a player like Anthony Edwards, who functions pretty regularly off the ball in Georgia's like weavy motion cutting offense where he's, he's accustomed to using jukes and shakes and, and finding space to cut. Killian Hayes doesn't really do that. So, so I think a team will also like Anthony Edwards need to spend time and energy developing his off ball game as well. Cause he could be a really valuable off ball offensive player attacking advantage situations and spotting up and, and doing all that and of course like max said the the pick and roll playmaking is great but when he has to go right that definitely deteriorates but i think playing off ball will definitely alleviate a lot of that and if he can be successful off the ball um it's going to take development but he's definitely a player who can get there with just his size and and potential shooting and general incredible intelligence off on both sides i mean hayes is probably less context dependent than a lot of these guys but still still can't just be thrown into the waters as a guy who's going to be asked to create out of high pick and roll every play and just given given full reign to do whatever he wants that's that's really not going to work early and he's and a team is going to have to spend a lot of concerted effort developing, I guess, specifically the live dribble passing with his right hand and and the finishing with his right hand if Killian Hayes is going to ever become this player who you can hand the ball to and have him run spread pick and roll many times a game, basically at his own volition, and have success there. Yeah. Um, oh, there was one thing that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on that I cannot remember right now. Um if if I think of it later, I will uh, I'll uh, bring it up. But um, should we move on to Lamelo? Sure. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Lamelo. Who I guess the the best way is to talk about how he can be misutilized. Is if a team kind of just boxes him in and doesn't let him 
run off kind of opposite of Killian Hayes. I mean, he can do pretty much everything out of the high pick and roll. He should he should be a guy who's allowed to get the ball in spread pick and roll situations and go left, go right, make plays um, whichever way he wants because he certainly has the creativity and the passing ability. And in time, hope the idea is that he has the pull up shooting gravity and maybe the finishing improves where he can be versatile there. But mainly with a passing guy who's allowed to to run this spread pick and roll offense basically without leashes like like Killian Hayes and also in transition the guy who's able to push the pace and take risks and kind of make these kind of make these high risk high reward passes that are very characteristic of LaMelo Ball and characteristic of pretty much all of the great passers in NBA history who who throw a lot of difficult passes and plenty of them will be turnovers but they throw but these difficult passes um add so much value these tough layup passes that that LaMelo so often throws add massive value and he hits them more than he doesn't so just even though it might not be pretty early cuz he's still very raw physically very very poor physically and the shooting is kind of an uncertainty to where it'll it'll level out early in his career and and going forward in this career but as long as he's allowed to do his thing out of the high pick and roll and run offense and and distribute the ball kind of to his full capacity i think he can be a really effective playmaker because he's going to step into the nba and be one of the better passers in the league pretty immediately so uh, just someone who's allowed to take advantage of of his passing gifts to the fullest ability yeah, not to not to derail this too much, but I remembered my my Killian point <laughs> is that um I think his his biggest fault off the ball is that whenever he doesn't have the ball, he's just trying to get the ball back. I know it's something that that Ben Taylor used to mention with Devin Booker as a concern for him him scaling down to a more reasonable role was that whenever he was off the ball, he all he would be doing looking to do would be get the ball back and that could just be a role scheme thing but i think it's very much the case with killian that when he's off the ball he's not he's not cutting he's not intelligently spacing he's just trying to find a way to get the ball back yeah. um and so yeah he'll just he just needs to be taught how to play off the ball better and i think that he will because i think that he he'll play with other creators um I think that he won't be in a role in which he's expecting to go and get the ball and initiate every single possession um and so back to Lamelo. uh sorry for for derailing that um yeah i think it's just about nurturing his creativity nurturing his uniqueness allowing him to push the pace allowing him to do stuff that maybe conventionally wouldn't be a good decision but for Lamelo, you know he can do this insane stuff and then uh defensively i think that comparable to someone like zion Lamelo, in order to generate even remotely like to get just remotely close to neutral i think defensive value will have to be a risk taker he will have to be empowered to do things that sometimes end poorly but often have you know high value outcomes because i think he will be really really bad as a point of attack defender um so i think that if you if you want lamello to be a viable overall guy and survive the negative defensive impact that he'll have as an individual guy i think he will have to be allowed to take a lot of risks and do things that risk averse coaches definitely don't want him to do um but i think that it's just part of how he's going to have to generate value yeah and i'll also say i'm interested to see how he would develop or if a coach would be willing to play him off the ball because lamello's never really played off the ball ever i mean he didn't at chino hills he didn't at spire he didn't really play in a tailored off the ball role at at, in the nbl so I, i think there might be some 
some some untapped um off-ball goodness there just with his just with his intelligence as a player and i think there were some flashes of smart cutting and smart spacing when in kind of rare occasion whenever he would do that not with a play but kind of on his own volition on a whim so i think if it, if a coach commits to teaching him how to function off the ball properly and i guess orderly in in the NBA, there could be some some value there playing off of uh, off of another creator, but but definitely Lamelo's optimization will come as a guy who's going to be allowed to create his own offense and create offense for teammates because that's just a thing that he can be really successful at if he gets the chance to. Mm-hmm. All right, next we've got Tyrese Maxey. Um, I think Maxey is is pretty role versatile. Um, I don't think that there's that many ways to really mess up using him especially where he's going in the draft i don't think that he'll be used this way but i think heavy ha- half court reps as an on-ball creator uh i recently went back and watched a bunch of, a bunch of maxi aau and high school games and his passing was was a lot more impressive than at kentucky however he's never been good with structured reads i would say he's not a good pick and roll player um, he just he just isn't advanced in that department. He's he's an impressive, I think, transition passer with his touch, and I do think that at times he shows good vision and actually some manipulation with his eyes, but just not not a structured passer. Uh, I really think half court more of a more of a secondary creator. Um, so I, I don't think he'll be put he'll be put into this role. But if Maxi is is relied upon at least early for making lots of structured reads in like pick and roll, I don't think that that will be a proper utilization. Yeah, he's just never really shown the ability to manipulate ball screens the way you want. I mean, he's super prone to rejecting screens. He he never shows any sort of screen reversal or snake dribbles or anything like that. Um, I, I do wonder if that's a thing that can can be taught with him because certainly I don't think it's likely that's likely something that was emphasized with at Kentucky playing playing next to Ashton Hagens for so many of his minutes and kind of just learning the ropes of of playing off ball for the first time at Kentucky. So maybe a coach could could drill in some of those more basic, basic learn structured reads. And I think if, if he does, that can definitely raise Maxi's ceiling as an on-ball creator, like just teaching him to, teaching him to hit the roll in the pick and roll, lifting to the wing. Those are, those are reads that are obviously not, not easy, especially for someone like Maxi who's never done them, but they're probably less complicated than maybe in some of the, even some of the more creative reads that Maxi already does. I mean, he's awesome at that. Like he's probably his best pass is just like the dro- like a drop down lob pass off of his gravity getting downhill. That's I, I feel like maybe, maybe that could be expanded to a pick and roll context. But like like you said, Max, I mean, he's definitely going to be best optimized as a secondary creator where he's not asked to run lots of pick and rolls and make lots of make lots of plays out of the pick and roll. It's just not not a strength of him. He's not shifty enough with his handle. Just not disciplined enough uh, with with a ball screen to to do that at a high volume in the NBA. Yep. All right. So next one in contrast to Maxi is one of the bigger, uh, you know, cases where he could be misutilized in the entire class in Isaac Okoro. Um, so I think offensively this like scheming is going to have to be very creative. They're like teams are going to, whatever team drafts Isaac Okoro will have to be very purposeful about trying to get him downhill. Like, I mean, you're, you're the Pelicans guy here. Um, that uh, that pick and roll where Zion is on the weak side and just like curls into the lane, um, play like plays like that where you get a Coro going downhill and he's just such a freight train and he's explosive and he's so skilled as a finisher that I think that, that you know he he will 
be very uh, efficient in a setting like that. Uh, and I think it's just important to keep in mind that because Okoro can't shoot, he doesn't need you don't need to askew creation with him he can create it's just not necessarily in a in a way that you would think like you know he he can isolate from like the elbow or something like that and he's just such a powerful driver that he can like he will be able to just get by and like through a a lot of people uh and he is a really really good finisher and you know put him in situations where he has the ball and he is a pretty high level wing passer um I think that you he can generate a lot of value there. Uh, so I think that, that maybe there's this assumption that because he's not a shooter, he's not a creator. But I don't think that's the case. You'll just have to be creative with it. Um, however, if you just stick him in the corner and and just have him shooting spot-ups, I think there's no way that he's anything but a significant offensive negative. Um Alternatively, if you don't want to use him as a wing or a creator at all, I think you can use him as a big in some situations because he is so strong and bouncy. Uh, I think he will be a pretty compelling role man because uh, he's such a good finisher and he is he's such an impressive passer. Uh, so just willing to, willingness to be creative with him uh, and not to just relegate him to, you know, to a very small role because of his limitations. You know, he, he does have limitations and those need to be, you know, those need to be accounted for, but that that doesn't mean that you should, you know, forget about the special skills that he has. Uh, and then I'll also mention just on defense quickly. I think that he, you probably don't want him defending down or up too much because defending down, I don't think he can really move right now, at least with the weight that he's at with like the quickest of guards. Uh, and then up, I, I you probably don't want him having too many. Uh, like you don't want him as your primary rim protector because he doesn't have that level of of length. And uh, just doesn't really have the size, I think, to defend a lot of those guys. So I think he probably is like more strict wing stopper than um, than some other guys. But uh, yeah, it just I, I think that don't don't um, don't askew creation with Okoro. Uh, don't don't box him in to just like an off ball wing player because. Uh, you know, he has some some glaring flaws. I think that just creativity with him will, will be key. Yeah, I was just thinking about the Pelican situation for Okoro because they do a lot of creative things to get their players looks. Like you said, like you mentioned right at the beginning with Zion using him off of pistol action, and get him coming from the corner and get him in a pick and roll for the side or get him curling to the basket where, where you can create an advantage for him where maybe he won't be able to generate the... Gr- Maybe if he doesn't have spot-up shooting gravity to force defenders to close out hard, that doesn't mean you can't find ways to get him into the into the lane and find and create creases for him. And once he, like we talked about, once he once he gets these creases, he has the passing chops to manipulate them and create value with 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 high leverage passes. And and again, the Pelicans will do a thing often where in early offense they'll have one of their guards or or guard-sized players like run a pick and slip to the rim in early offense, and that's that's the thing Okoro can do because he's going to be bouncier than and stronger than most of these guards who'd run it, and he's going to be really excellent finishing finishing on the move like that. And I think because Okoro, because of how how highly he's valued by the NBA, I mean, even though plenty of draft Twitter is very down on Okoro, it, I mean, he's a three, four, top three, four, five prospect by the NBA. So it seems like whichever NBA team takes takes him is going to be committed to to getting the most out of Okoro and using him in the right way. So I think the chances that he's actually used in a correct in 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 the correct way or in a way that optimizes his skills is probably more likely than 
people may think because he he's gonna be a top five pick or a top six pick most likely is or that's what it seems like we we can't know for sure but at the moment that's that's what it seems like so so if you were going to be picked in the mid the mid teens or even the late teens that likely wouldn't be the case but there's a good chance that a coro is actually going to be schemed for and has success and of course if he develops a shot on offense um if he ends up does developing a reliable spot up a, a, a lot of this a lot of this necessity of of scheming him of scheming him open um goes at the window but that doesn't mean it goes away entirely yeah coro even without the shot we believe he, I believe, I know Max believes can be a, a valuable offensive player with, with just his level of passing and, and his slashing goodness. And, and yeah, and, and like I said, defensively just kind of have him stop opposing wings and he should be, should be successful there. All right. Next we've got Onyeka Kongwu. Um, another one who's, who's not too, um, situation dependent, uh, as we've we've talked about before, one of the things that's really appe- appealing about Onyeka is that he uh, has the versatility to succeed in lots of different uh, defensive coverages. Um, and so I think it would be a little wasted if he goes to a place that's pretty rigid. Like if he if he goes to a place where he's just asked to like drop versus every single pick and roll, that would definitely be a little bit of a waste. Um, but you know, that, I don't think it's a huge deal. And then like. He at USC played a lot of his minutes with another big. Uh, don't do that in the NBA. Onyeka Kongu is not a four. Um, he's he's a center. But uh, I think I think it would be pretty hard to to mess up uh, the utilization of of Onyeka Kongu. I think that's that's definitely one of the points of appeal with him. Yeah, and I'll say offensively, I think um, I would like to see him be in be in, be in, be in an environment where he can be where he can be empowered to 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 try things, to just be empowered to try ball handling, to try different passes, to try and shoot, because those are definitely the kind of the swing skills that that will determine his upside. So uh, yeah, if a team just relegates him to being a role man 100% of the time, or maybe get, get the occasional post up and doesn't give him the least to, to, to at least try these more complex perimeter moves, then his ceiling is probably going to be going to be further limited. And maybe he can be a guy who's kind of drilled in to the, who, who's a candidate to learn drilled reads, you know, simple simple reads off the short roll, kicking to the corner, or or not. We talked about this maybe even last episode. We we've talked about drilled reads plenty on this podcast. He could be a guy. Does that? But yeah, plenty of the appeal for our Kongwu is that he's going to be a uh, sort of not scheme proof, but scheme versatile player all around and someone who's going to be effective in most situations and should be a good NBA player, regardless of if he's slightly misutilized or not. And the, the one thing is that he won't hit a really high end, like meaningful outcome. If he's not allowed to, I think, try to develop as a face up scorer. Um, So definitely, I mean, like you said, not just forcing him to be nothing but a role man, but if he if he's not given those opportunities to to really evolve into a like potent face up scorer, I don't think that he'll hit the really high end outcomes that would make that, that make him a, like really appealing as a top five or six pick. Yeah. All right. So I think we're going to move on to our next guy, which is Cole Anthony. And the main way that Cole Anthony would be misutilized is if a team sees him as a true primary and throws him into a very ball dominant offensive offense driving role early because he's very much not the decision maker and lacks the burst to consistently beat his opponents and create for others and teammates. I mean, Cole Anthony is a prospect that both 
higher on the consensus probably. And I definitely believe in his pull-up shooting and his shooting in general. I think his passing is better than he showed at North Carolina. And I think there's he's definitely or likely a better finisher in the show there as well. But he's still pretty raw in all of those areas. And he's and if he's expected to be this guy who comes in and is this true primary, he's going to flame out. But I don't think he prop after his his season in North Carolina. I don't think he's going to have those expectations, or at least I don't think he should. And I'll quickly touch on defensively. I think he's another guy who should be empowered to take risks because he really has some has strong instincts as a team defender at, at times. I mean, he he makes really good rotations for blocks, and he'll dig on drives for steals, and he'll make he'll, he'll make plays off the ball. So. I think if he's allowed to do this, because on the ball, he, he definitely is it need, needs work technically, though I'm definitely higher on his defense because of his general strength. Um, he needs work there. So if he's allowed to be a risk taker off the ball and, and gamble, he could be a really effective playmaker um, at his size. So, yeah, Not being thrown into the wolves as this true primary who's asked to do do a ton for an offense. Not someone like Lamelo who, who can come in and create for, for himself and create, especially for teammates, right away. Uh, Cole Anthony's not going to be someone who's can, who can do that. So someone who can be nurtured in the right system where maybe he can learn to play off the ball and get and just get more more openings and more more high-quality looks in the offense. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I think that the, the main way that you mess up when you're – deployment of Cole Anthony is expecting him to be a true primary uh, decision maker and handler. Um, should, should we move on to RJ Hampton? Yeah, uh, RJ Hampton's another one we don't have very much to say. I think it's pretty clear what RJ Hampton is. And like Cole Anthony, if if a team decides to throw him in as a primary and have him run a lot of offense, then he's probably not. He's definitely not going to be able to do that. He's just not the shooter or a or like a good enough dry or he's a good slasher and he's and, and he's a pretty and he's a pretty solid passer as well but he's not good enough to be there uh, so yeah i i don't think a team is going to is going to use him that way i think he he wasn't that for uh, new zealand breakers he was that in in high school but i think the it was clear that he isn't that at the professional level so i don't think a team is going to use him that way yeah agreed i think that he, it's clear what he is and i think his his stock is at the point where he's not going to be drafted to be more than that um so yeah i think that 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 would be how you mess up rj hampton uh but i I don't think it's going to happen uh next we've got leandro bolmaro who i think is you know a big one who could be misutilized uh so i I think a lot of the you know potential for issues stems from the fact that he's six seven uh, and will be thought of as a wing when he should probably be thought of as a guard. Um, so offensively, that would look like if he is relegated to spot up duty, um, but he is a at this point a fairly questionable shooter, and his main appeal comes from the fact that he is a your sublime advantage creator on the ball with his shiftiness and handle and uh, and burst. Um, I think that you you know you're losing the entire appeal of him basically. Uh, as an offensive player, if you, um, you know, and, and also, I mean, his passing, his on the ball passing as a just brilliant manipulator and creative on the ball passer. I mean, you're losing all of that if he, if he's on spot up duty in the corner or on the wing. Uh, and then defensively, I think you're also missing out if you think of him as a wing, because where he really thrives is as a just hounding point of attack defender who makes guys very uncomfortable who blows up screens who denies the ball uh 
he, he but he is not like an impressive vertical athlete he's not like an imposing uh rim defender he he makes rotations and he he's there he's very smart but he um he's not a big time playmaker uh so you really want him defending on the ball you you need to be drafting him like yes he is 67 but he he's a guard like i i whenever i you know put out a final board i will classify him as as like an initiator or a guard or something like that not not a wing and if if he's thought of as a wing i think he will he'll definitely be be wasted yeah and that's certainly the appeal with bomaro this high is is not that he's this off ball wing or or this unspecial wing because if he's thrown into that role he's really not special because like you said even though the his shot mechanics seem to like have definitely improved um since since last summer in FIBA and since his previous play it's 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 not great they're still inconsistent and the shooting is a big question mark so off the ball I mean he'd have to be schemed for like Isaac Okoro in a similar like that to to add value but he doesn't need to be schemed like Isaac Okoro because he can simply run pick and rolls to no end on the ball because he's like 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 Max said a fantastic handler Super manipulative with his dribble. He's deceptive. He's he, he has tons of shake and get. Even though he's not like like his strength, he's not super strong. He can get into the lane kind of when he wants with that handle. And when he has a ball screen, he's going to be able to to get into the lane and manipulate defenses that way. And then create for his teammates excellently out of the pick and roll as a passer. So yeah, I don't know much else to add, but like I said, Bomaro is absolutely a guard to me. To Max, he he's not a wing. Like I said, on the ball, yeah, on the ball, he's just. Off the ball, um, as, as a defender, he's not a rim protector. Um, Going to struggle as a paint protector without great vertical explosion or strength. So, yeah, just a menacing point of attack defender. Um, going to be pretty effective there. Should be effective there pretty pretty soon um, as he enters the league. And on the ball, someone who can make plays and create. So, yeah, pretty simple with him. Before we go any further, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors here. The Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by LinkedIn Jobs. The perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find that person to help grow your business, LinkedIn Jobs will help match the right talent with your open role fast. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com team. Again, that's linkedin.com slash team to get $50 off your first post. Terms and conditions apply. Our second sponsor is Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection, two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice Awards. Go to simplysafe.com/team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com/team. That's simplysafe.com/team. Yeah, next we've got Devin Vassell, wing out of uh, FSU. Um I think Again, a guy who's not probably not going to be messed up. If he, an, another guy that if he's just uh, used as a spot up guy, I think he'll be fine. But I think it would be a waste because he was so good at self creating these lo- those long twos this year that he does have I think real um, you know, self creation chops. Probably not as much for other guys, but he did he did flash I think vision at times. It was very impressive. It sort of it seems like that Florida State really suppresses passing for a lot of these guys where, you know, they're just pretty much creating for themselves. But Vassell, I think, does flash, uh, 
you know, ability to like pick out cutters that, that are really like quite difficult to see to the point where I do think he has some vision that, that could be cultivated. Um, so I think not just conceiving of him as exclusively an off ball player and then defensively on the ball, he's fine. Um, his hips are like really high and narrow. And I think that it really prevents him from moving well laterally. Like even when he does slide, it's just, it's like slow. He just doesn't cover very much ground with like each individual slide. Um, so if he's not given sort of free reign to make like the long impactful rotations he does off the ball, I think that he will be a little wasted defensively. So like, for example, he may, you could, I think certainly make the argument that Vassell is a better defensive prospect than Isaac Okoro, but I think it would be pretty hard to mess up the uh, deployment of Isaac Okoro's defense. Like, I don't think that there's that much variation between situations in how impactful Isaac Okoro's defense will be, but Vassell's, I think, will vary quite a bit. Like, if he's on a team where he's really allowed to sort of roam off the ball and, and do a lot of what he was able to do at FSU, which is sort of quarterback a lot of things and and take risks, then I think he'll be a massively impactful defensive player. But if he's really relied upon as like a wing stopper, I think that, you know, he, his impact will be probably negligible. Yeah. And teams do tend to fall in love with those big wing stalker types because all the rage in the modern NBA is finding players who can slow down these mega wings, which, which the, the, the real truth is those players don't really exist. You can reliably stop those mega wings. So if, if that, if Vassell is billed as a player who can do that, he's going to struggle. But yeah, like you said, I'm interested to see how, how, how his NBA team deploys him defensively. Cause there, there, there's always talk about Leonard Hamilton's scheme, boosting players defensively. So uh, even though it, it seems like Vassell's is incredibly instinctual and should be successful as a team defender in the NBA, given he has the leash to do that. I guess there's some chance he doesn't if he's not deployed that way. And like you said, offensively, he has certainly better vision than he's built at. He's really not allowed to to pass or create. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like pull up jumper is kind of just what he's told to do. I mean, he, he lacks he, he lacks burst and he can't really create separation to make advantages, but he has being really tall and having that vision allows him to see and pass over defenses uh, just like his high release point aids his jumper and aids his self-creation that'll aid his passing as well so if Vassal is another guy who who can be used intelligently off ball in sort of a maybe a motion style offense to get some advantages and maybe he and maybe a team can unlock some more passing than he's already shown Um, he can be an even better offensive offensive player than you think but yeah Vassal generally a pretty safe one should be a solid NBA player, even if he's not perfectly optimized. So, and that's definitely part of the appeal with him. Yeah. Next we've got Denny. Um, And the reason that Denny keeps falling for me is I'm just getting more and more out on the idea that he has any creation equity whatsoever. Um, I just don't think that he has the burst to create in the half court uh, uh, as an on ball guy. And right now he's trending more and more to, toward it seems like being a you know really high pick. You know, I think ESPN has him in the top five, uh, and that's concerning to me because I don't think that Denny can do that. I don't think that he has has the pull up to, to you know threaten as a as a ball handler, and I don't think that he has the ability to get by anyone. Um, 
And I mean, like even have like, you know, skepticism of him as a, as a finisher, like his finishing numbers this year were really good. But when you, when you account for the fact that he is like an unbelievable cutter and a shot, like I like in the eighties, like percentage wise on cuts. Um, once you, I mean, once you look at the, the rim numbers out of spot up and pick and roll in the half court, it's really bad. Um, so I just, I don't buy, I don't buy any creation equity from Denny. Um, and you know if he's being drafted in the top five, it, it certainly seems like like he's going to be expected to be a half court creator, and that that's very concerning to me. Uh, you know he will be able to create in transition for sure; he'll be great at that. But in the half court, if he's asked to create, I think it will go very poorly. Yeah, and just once again, kind of similar to what we talked about with Lamelo in transition, someone someone who um who's going to be who's going to need to be allowed to to push the pace and grab grab rebounds and go and create plays for others in the open floor because that's where he's going to add a lot of his value because he's just a pristine outlet passer um throws like long bounce passes and baseball passes um for easy layups and he's creative there and he's like a good half court passer and i think off the ball it's it's likely if he's likely he can be schemed in a way to make use of his vision off the ball getting going getting going downhill off the ball and and creating that way, maybe even generating some offense from from the elbow, like we talked about, or Isaac Coro, or even from the post against smaller defenders. But if he's asked to run high pick and rolls at a high rate, um, yeah, I'm I'm skeptical that he's gonna be he's gonna be able to to, to hang as this this six foot eight point forward that he's built at because kind of lacks the point part of that point four. I mean, he certainly passes like one, or but this the handle and the burst is 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 really not there as an on ball creator and that's not even mentioning the shot which has gone in this year and he has made pull ups and he's made spot ups at a pretty decent rate this year but it's there's just so few guys in NBA history who've had his low free throw percentage and have really shot the ball well I mean, the odds are against him there just being just being a guy who has major shooting questions and major athleticism questions a guy who if he's asked to play heavy on ball and create a lot, which like Max said, certainly looking like he's going to be a high pick. And, and if he lands in a situation where he's asked to create a lot, it, it, it may, it may not go well, but Denny is definitely a good player should be, should be a pretty good NBA player. If he's, if he's used the right way. Yeah. I think there's maybe more potential to, to for misutilization to, to harm his career than he's built at. Like maybe there's more downside, uh, with Denny as he's billed as this very safe player, that there's potential if he's not used the right way to maybe be a far less impactful player than many many envision him as. Yeah, I don't think of Denny as like a safe player at all, which is again why because I, I don't think that he has particularly high end outcomes that are realistic, and I don't think he's safe at all, and that's why he keeps falling for me. But um, I think also a lot of his really good half court passing is out of situations that he won't really see in the NBA, like it's passing out of the post, especially like I. I I guess I just even haven't seen that many pick and roll reps from him beyond like um, like ANGT and FIBA type stuff because you know with with Maccabi he plays in an off ball role because he's not you know he's not granted like that he's playing at a very high level of competition but I think that he's not capable of, of functioning on the ball and they've, they've certainly recognized that at Maccabi but like someone like Denny has played way more minutes with uh, Maccabi in in uh, their domestic league and in Euroleague than Bolmaro did with um, with Barcelona. But when Bolmaro played with Barcelona, he was playing on the ball and he was like creating space uh, and advantages on the ball. Um, so I think that just like the Denny role with 
with um, Maccabi is pretty telling. Like he's he's not an on ball creator. Um, and then also, I, I, we shouldn't get too in the weeds on the shot, but um, beyond just the fact that like it would be like he'd be a real historical outlier if he becomes a competent shooter with that like free throw badness. Uh, I think like mechanically, it's also like really not good. Uh, like his upper body is pretty good, but um, he like his entire body is like kind of coiled and curves in and it's like really suboptimal for like transferring energy. And then his lower body is, is really a mess. And it's like uncomfortable to watch because what like a, a lot of shooters have is, is like natural sway where their, you know, lower body will, will move in one direction. But Denny is like starts to sway. And then it feels like he's, he fights against his own body and like pulls his legs back and has a very uncomfortable landing. It's just like, it, his shot is, is really like, mechanically flawed you know not as not as bad as some people probably not as bad as your average 57 percent free throw shooter or whatever he is um but it, it is mechanically flawed to the point where like it looks good i is not even like it's not true like i think i think some people certainly believe that but i think when you look closely at it, it, it i don't even think it looks particularly good all right so i think we've we've said quite a bit about denny so let's move on to patrick williams another FSU guy who who the main way that he's going to be mis- misutilized is if he's drilled as a three, as a wing, because on on both ends, defensively especially, he's not that. Defensively, he's just really, really poor moving laterally. He struggles so much to open up his hips and to, and to slide with defenders with, with heavy feet and, and slow hips. He's really going to struggle if he's asked to defend the perimeter consistently. But on the other hand, he has certainly the strength, the length, the balance, the intelligence to function as a full-time four defensively and he's a pretty incredible weak side rim protector with with awesome instincts makes great rotations and has pretty impressive recovery tools when he is beat to to make plays at the rim and impact shots so defensively gonna need to be played as a four to function really really won't be able to do well as a three if he's asked to play any extended minutes there and i guess as offensively probably more of a four as well um mostly flashes offensively and hasn't really been able to concretely put together any like consistent stretches of, of of ball handling or passing but he has shown the ability to do so many things on offense in terms of running pick and rolls and hitting pull-ups and making good passes and shooting spot up so they're just someone who's allowed to do a lot of things offensively um I mean, not relied on heavily there. Really, yeah. Most of his misutilization potential comes from just him being totally untenable as a wing defensively with with his lateral mobility concerns. Yeah, I think that we've definitely talked about him being pretty strictly a four in the past, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Like being like lacking positional versatility. It, it is like not inherently that bad. Like it, it's bad that he like won't be a super viable switch defender and stuff like that. But you know. It's not, I don't think that big of a deal that he's strictly a four because I think he's a good four. Um, but yeah, I mean, the he can't really defend the perimeter. Like you said, his hips are very slow to turn, but then he also always overturns and just it it generates so much space for for people who are attacking him to you know to finish. Um, I posted a, a video of it on Twitter if um, if anyone's interested, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, if he's just if he's used as a three, which I think is a very legitimate concern because of how starved the league is for threes, then he will probably fail. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say I think we're probably done with Patrick Williams. I don't think we have much else to say 
on him. We've talked plenty about him on this podcast. So let's move on to our, our next guy, which is um, Alabama point guard Kyra Lewis. And there's not too much on Kyra. Um, I will say that I don't think he's good enough at the moment to play super heavy on ball um, recently. I mean, he, I just don't think he's a good enough pull-up shooter or a good enough um, a good enough decision maker or a good enough finisher to really function there as much as maybe a team would like him to. Um, but basically, Max talked about this last week, I believe, um, about how Kyra off-ball um, really has a lot of potential utility because beyond him being a, a very a very accomplished spot-up shooter with with nice mechanics and the shots has gone in very well as compared, as, as compared to his pull-up. He's blindingly quick accelerating off the catch. So if you give him any space closing out on, on Kyra Lewis, he will blow right by you and get into the lane. And he has more than enough vision um, to pick out, to pick out shooters or cutters when he's attacked to close into the lane. He's, he's far, he's not complex there and he has plenty of issues as a passer, but he's good enough to function as an off ball creator. So a guy who I think can be pretty effective in an off ball role um, someone, someone who, if he's thrown in to just run high pick and rolls over and over, though he probably gets in the lane quite a bit. Um, I don't think he's, I just don't think he's sound enough mentally or physically to to really be viable there. But so, someone who could be really effective as kind of an off ball guard, maybe playing next to a bigger creator. I, I, I mean, he's slated in kind of the late, the late first round area um, by a lot of more mainstream mainstream boards. I, I'd love to see him land in a situation like Milwaukee, where he can play off of bigger creators and attack off ball, or just land in any spot where he's not relegated to to full time on ball duties. Yeah, if he is playing off the ball, though, I think you probably still want him defending the point of attack because this is something I, I think I talked about it also last week that Kyra's point of attack defense is pretty good. Like he has issues with screen navigation, but he's he's shows good effort getting back into plays, and uh, it can be really impactful with his length. Um, so I think you you'd probably want him still defending point of attack as much as possible. But yeah, I mean, I I agree with the the idea that that he. He is a, a good off-ball player and could be a really good off-ball player. And if you're not making use of that, at least some, uh, you're probably not using Kyra to his fullest potential. All right, so we have one more guy I'm talking about, and that is Tyrese Halliburton, um, Iowa State. So I want to talk about Halliburton. Yeah, I think this, one, one. this one's yeah. really simple. It's a big one. Tyrese Halliburton was a, a primary initiator in college. I think there's like almost no chance that he can do that in the NBA. He doesn't have the burst strength or handle for that um just not really all that close and i i kind of want to talk a little bit about why his stock is confusing to me in that light because i i mean it, i'll be receptive to it i guess if someone wants to make the argument to me that he is a primary handler but i personally don't see it at all um i i don't really get where that's coming from but i you know i encourage someone to you know, make that from, from an informed place. Um, but if he's not that, I don't understand how you could have him ranked as like a top five to seven prospect, which a lot of people seem to be doing because it's just like, I think I've mentioned this before, like what the best case scenario realistically with Halliburton is that he's like Alonzo type linking player. And I just don't see how you're returning anything close to top, you know, five to seven value as that guy. Um, it's just, I, I don't get people who seem to acknowledge that he is not a primary and are still ranking him that highly in, unless you're just totally out on everyone in this class, even to an extent that I'm not. 
Um, and I'm very out on this class. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe you get it more than I do, Ben, but I, I, I get the sense you probably don't. No, I'm, I'm very much with you. And I, I'll say like, I understand, um, just fading everyone else and arguing that Halliburton will probably be like a functional NBA player. So draft them in the top five. I would disagree with that philosophically. And I know you would as well. Um, functional NBA player does not equal top five. I mean, uh, it, it is, it is a bad class. Like, like yeah. I said, like with Killian Hayes, like I still have Killian Hayes as my second ranked prospect. Right. And when I was watching him recently, I realized that this guy can only play on half the floor. Like he can really only play on half the floor. And I still think that he's the second best prospect in the class. Like it, it's, yeah, a, so it's, I, a I, I mean, it's an unspectacular group. Um, so like, like I said, I, I understand Halliburton. And yes, he was a very good college player, but I think people will definitely take like the very good college player thing and his college numbers too far. Like, yes, Halliburton was pretty fantastic finishing at the rim this season. Yeah, I think he shot like 74% on the whole of the rim. But when you look at that number, it's skewed very heavily by transition. I, I did this research a, a little bit of like the, like the top NCAA guard prospects. Um, only Cole Anthony and Anthony Edwards had their overall rim percentage skewed more by transition. I think Halliburton's dropped about 14%. And and when you actually watch him, like it's so clear that he's going to have massive issues as a finisher at the NBA. I mean, very contact avoidant, contact avoidant lacks burst to consistently yeah, I mean, rim, lacks strength. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. L- lacks the burst to get there. Lacks the strength and vertical explosion to to finish there when he does. It, it's clear that that number is just not gonna trans is not gonna translate. I mean, as as like so many others. Like while Halliburton's a fantastic, a, a fantastically smart, just an, an ingenious team defender. Um, he has so many limitations with just his his, his general weakness. Um, on and off the ball, his lack of explosion, his footwork, um, his footwork uh, guarding ball screens and off ball screens is a mess. Um, he's not very quick. He's not the quickest laterally. Laterally uh, opens up his hips the wrong way pretty often. He's got a long way to go to be a really impactful defender. And um, like I said, a lot of his his flaws defensively will be overlooked by draft Twitter because of how, because of like some of the special team defense plays that he does make. And he is, he is very good there. And then, yeah, like you said, Halliburton, I mean, if, if he shoots spot ups, which I mean is, is definitely an if with, with his mechanics, but I mean, it's certainly good enough free throw wise to, to get there. And he's had success shooting in college. If he's like, if he's a spot up shooter, a guy who can, who can run a set, who can run a pick and roll every once in a while with, with his, with his, conclusively brilliant passing i mean he should be like like max said uh an effective connecting third linking guard but that's just that's just not super enticing and certainly not the enticing prospects that some bill him as at the top five this range guy so. the in a more positive light i guess uh when when he is playing um you know when he is running a pick and roll i think not discouraging things not discouraging him from doing things that you would never encourage anyone else to do. What I'm specifically referring to basically is like the jump passing where no one should leave their feet without a plan when playing basketball, except for Tyrese Halliburton, because he he just like, he ends up turning these jump passes into this like highly manipulative and like positive thing. Um, it's honestly, it's pretty hard to to explain, but but he leaves his feet all the time and like uses that to sell. Like he'll use that to sell a skip to the corner, and then we'll end up just hitting a wide open roll man for like the easiest layup or dunk ever. Um, so I think you know when he is getting these rare on ball reps, uh, 
or when he is attacking like secondarily out of uh, like a secondary pick and roll, then you, you don't um, you don't want to limit him from doing things that would be bad for 99.9% of basketball players in the world, because Tyrese Halliburton is a very unique and very, very intelligent player. Yeah. And um, I'll quickly say like, oh. no, I, no, I go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to quickly say with Halliburton, I, I talked a lot about it as a defense, like just, just a second ago, but I'll say, um, I, I didn't mention this concretely is that he's going to need to be a guy who's like, we've talked about for quite a few of these prospects who's empowered to take risks off the ball and gamble and make these, make these incredible ste- long steals and long and, and long rotations. But yeah, so Halliburton definitely has a lot of issues there. So, yeah, so that that uh, covers the lottery, guys. I guess I mean if if people like this this sort of idea, then we can definitely extend it out to you know all of all of the first round. Uh, so I mean, just just let us know if if you like that. And um, and with that, I guess we'll we'll move on to some guys who have who have popped for us recently. Do you wanna you wanna get us started, Ben? Yeah, I'll I'll start this with kind of circling back towards the beginning of the episode with a guy who is not going the traditional route to the NBA, and that's Marjan Beauchamp, um, was originally slated to go to, I am totally blanking, um, he, was, he, he was originally slated to go to somewhere in college, uh, actually, I don't think he committed, um, last last fall, it was determined that he was going to train for the 2021 draft, um, in, instead of going, instead of going toward, instead of actually going to college, um, so I, I caught him, Against Jalen Green uh, initially, I didn't really even know he played for the team that he was that that uh, prolific prep was playing against, and I didn't know anything about him. But I was very pleasantly surprised um, with 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 Bochamp. just this six foot seven guy who has just the prettiest jumper. I mean, so many of his pull ups just don't touch anything um, except for air. The release is super super quick. Um, really really good passer as well. Um, just really strong vision. Doesn't force shots. Um, makes some really nice skip passes, um, has pick and roll reads. We'll say he is too passive overall, and there are instances where he'll, where he'll pass up shots that he should be taking to pass. There's one notably bad one I remember against Trinity International, which is Dyson Nix's team, where he had an open lane but threw a contested wraparound for a turnover. But yeah, that, that's definitely an issue, and his handle is functional. He can change directions a little bit, but it's a bit high and loose defensively i don't really have a lead but he's skinny and tends to get lost off the ball but yeah just this six seven guy who looks like a potentially really impressive shooter and passer uh pass dribble shoot kind of guy his size uh someone to monitor for sure and someone who is a shame that we're not really going to get any high leverage film on aside from the many games um on youtube um of him playing at his high school he plays for dreams he played a uh played at dream city international dream city christian i think in in Arizona this past year, but we're not going to get to see him in college. I don't think maybe he'll shock everyone and go to the G league, but I, I, I doesn't seem like that at this point. So just, an, just, just an interesting features guy who I'm going to hopefully be tracking throughout his, his next year. Yeah. I have not seen him, but uh, I will look out. I'll look out for him. You, you sent me a clip of, of his, his pull up and it is, it's very pretty. Um, my, my, uh, my one guy this week is, uh, USC freshman Max Agbonkpolo um, was a, I think, a top 60 RSCI guy. Uh, just like a, a huge wing, like really, like probably like 6'9 or so. Uh, like I was watching the game against Washington. It looked like he was taller than Isaiah Stewart. Um, just so enormous and has a very pretty shooting stroke. Uh, I, I don't have a feel for 
any other part of his game really like he he doesn't he didn't play very much at all uh but huge and has a pretty has a pretty shot um definitely someone that i'm excited to watch with the mobiles next year at usc uh should be fun they'll be very huge very skilled team uh and they they should be quite good so i'm looking forward to that uh i haven't seen what do you say i mean if 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 you have anything to add on him uh feel free but if not i mean yeah like i i yeah, you, do you have anything? I was going to really say, like, he's just tall, skinny, pretty shot. Doesn't seem to be very good at much else. But I, I was going to say, since we didn't go as long as I expected, we do. I do have one more guy that I wanted to touch on. Um, I sure. think we have time for that. Um, and yeah. that's that's Devin Dotson, who I've been watching a bit of recently, and I kind of continue to, to lower on. Um, there are some who see him as like a top five, top ten, top fifteen type pick, and I'm really just not there. Um, his his build, his his appeal is that this guy who has this elite skill, um, who is going to be this elite rim pressure guy once he enters the league. Um, but I have a lot of problems with that. One, he's certainly very good, a very good slasher. He's super, he's super fast and bursty. He's strong. He has really nice balance finish as well. I mean, the fact that he's 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 small and he's not like. I don't. He's very good, but I don't think he's like outlier, outlier good for his size. I mean, he, he's not Grant Riller. Um, I don't think it's as surefire that he's going to be this guy who comes in immediately and is pressuring the rim and finishing at a high level. And just just the rest of his game, I'm super unenthused by. Um, I worry a lot about the pull up. His mechanics aren't great. He he has a, a definite hitch in his shot with the upper body and the lower body. He splays his legs out pretty regularly, and the balance is off there. Um, his passing, he certainly has vision, and he'll make he'll make some he'll make some nice skips to the corner and and dump off some layoffs to the roller. I don't think he's that great of a passer. I think he has, like everybody else on Kansas, received a massive boost from the presence of Yudoka Spooky, where oftentimes he can just kind of toss the ball towards the paint. And Yudoka will just grab it and, and dunk because he's Yudoka as a buki and he's enormous. And I think that's that's that that's a pass that like I could make. And and a lot of most most competent NBA point guards should be able to make him. I think it's it, it's telling a, a lot of times when when Yudoka goes off the floor um, and he has a big like David McCormack in the game. Um, he's who's just not the same lob target or interior threat. A lot of his passes, you can see that his passes are a lot of his deliveries are not super accurate or he or, or he'll misreads and I, I feel like he's just not as good as he's he's not as good as he should be um manipulating defenses and picking out shooters and drawing help given how much room gravity he generates at the college level. And then defensively, I mean, six foot two point guard, um he's he's got a, he gets steals and he's pretty smart, but he's small and I don't think he's like I, I don't think he's as good as the guy we talked about um, last episode as like a, as good as the guy like Nico Mannion. I think he's worse than Nico Mannion defensively, or if he's not worse, he's certainly at that level. So yeah, just a guy who I'm continuing to kind of sour on. Um, not I'm very out on um, as like a lottery type pick. Where where do you have Dotson? I have Dotson. So so I had him in like the like the like the high twenties um, before I started the Washington Wizards game. I I keep moving him down to like like mid low tw- mid, like towards the 30 towards 30 range mid like mid 20 ish mm-hmm. yeah i've got him mid 20s which is kind of where i've always had him um just yeah i i don't think that he's the level of decision maker or handler that you have to be at the size and like you said he's a very good finisher but at his size i don't think he's an exceptional finisher like in the nba 
I, like, will he be an above average guard fish, finisher? I don't even know about that. Like, he's. I think he probably will, but like, I, I mean, I not like someone who's above ag, above average or exceptional enough to stand out amongst his size. Yeah, like he's he's I he's very balanced and strong, and I really I like that a lot out of a guard finisher. But I I, I don't think that he's like an exceptionally crafty or or like I don't think he has like outlier touch or anything like that. Um, and just. I think you didn't even address this that like his pull up, I like his mechanics getting into his pull up are really slow. And I just don't think that's going to be a, a, like an actual thing in his game, um, which is a big problem for a guy who's like generously six two. Um, and like you said, he's a very good point of attack defender, but he is a, a strict one position defender. Uh, and that, that's a little annoying. Well, I mean, that's, it's definitely problematic for a guy who's, who's like, as we're kind of alluding to, not really a, you know, a primary creator type. So if you, if you need him now next to another creator and he's going to have to be the one guarding the smallest guy on the floor, you know, that that's pretty restrictive from a team building standpoint. Like you, you, your options are like, you only can really use him next to like a jumbo initiator type guy. Um, but I mean, he's a really good player. He was, he was great at Kansas, but I mean, I, I kind of agree with you in that a, a lot of these, thing a lot of what he's good at probably isn't going to translate at the level that it needs to and he's got some glaring fall flaws uh and just like fits into an archetype that i think is not all that valuable and not even really something that we see succeed all that often yeah and for someone who who whose main appeal is as prospect who has a bankable elite skill that where i'm not even sure if that skill is actually bankably elite um, just not a guy who I want to be touching anywhere near like the lottery or top 10. I'm not, I, I don't actually know where like he's generally mocked and, and ranked in terms of the, the mainstream consensus. I don't think it's that high. I mean, I think in the I, mainstream is he's, he's probably undervalued, honestly. Yeah, probably a little undervalued because he's like, like, he, like Max said, like he's a, he's a good player and a good prospect and just having that, like he's certainly going to have rim gravity and if he ends up shooting, um, he's going to be effective. Um, despite his size, like I said, worth a first-round pick um, for that alone, but just not someone who's anything really spectacular. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I guess with that, I think we're we're probably done for this episode. Like we um like we mentioned earlier, if you liked the 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 sort of idea of of figuring out how how these guys would be misutilized and fail in the NBA, we can we can apply that to more than just. Uh, the guys we have in the, in the lottery range. Uh, so, so let us know on Twitter. Uh, you can do that by um, you know, reaching out to us at the, the pod account, which is at prep2pro, the, the number two, uh, prep2, the number two pro, or uh, at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore, or at uh, Max A. Carlin. Uh, so yeah, let us know if you, if you enjoyed that and you want some more of it. Uh, otherwise, um, just you know, rate, review, subscribe, share, uh, help us out. Uh, you know, doing 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 those things really does make a difference for you know us. Uh, you know, getting getting some notoriety. So we appreciate it, and uh, thanks for listening. See ya.